1: This is Chris Grasso with the Indie Spirituals podcast hosted by the Be Here Now Network and I am incredibly delighted to have my very dear friend on the show returning to the show Tommy Rosen. Tommy, nice to have you.
2: Chris, thank you so much. I'm so I'm so delighted to be here.
1: Oh, as as I am. It's always a real pleasure speaking with you. So Before we get into what I know will be a uh, illuminating and and deep and enlightening conversation, I would love to read your bio quickly. Um, For anyone not familiar with your work, uh, Tommy Rosen is a yoga teacher and addiction recovery expert who has spent the last two decades immersed in recovery and wellness. He holds advanced certifications in both Kundalini and Hatha yoga and has 26 years of continuous recovery from drug addiction. Tommy is the founder of the Recovery 2.0 Global Community, the Recovery 2.0 Online Conference Series, and the Recovery 2.0 Group Coaching Program. He leads yoga retreats and workshops internationally and presents regularly at yoga conferences and festivals. Tommy's book, Recovery 2.0, Move Beyond Addiction and Upgrade Your Life, was published by Hay House in 2014. For more information, you can visit either uh, www.tommyrosen.com, Rosen spelled R O S E N, or www.recovery, the number two, the word point, the number O.com, if that's correct.
2: Actually, that's an old one. Oh, uh, my apologies. What? What's no, the no, new oh, one? I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't let you know. Yeah. Uh, the new one is, is a lot easier. It's just r20.com.
1: And you know, I've been posting about the conference and I should have known that just because I've been looking at that (laughs) link. So r20.com, scratch that. But if you're checking this out on the Be Here Now podcast page, you don't even have to type that in. Just scroll down a little bit and you will see links to Tommy's book, uh, his website, the Recovery 2.0 website. So simply just scroll down and click on the link. So again, Tommy, thank you so much for joining me.
2: Thank you,
1: Chris. Yeah. So before we talk about your upcoming conference, um, I was wondering if you could give us a recap. And, I, I, you know, I haven't listened to our original conversation from a few years ago from my podcast. We've had many. You've been on mine. I've been on your show. So but again, for anyone who might not be familiar with you and your work, if you don't mind just giving us a recap of your own addiction experience and how you found your way into recovery, because a lot of people that listen to the show are either in recovery or they're struggling and not just mm-hmm. with drugs and alcohol, as you know, um, life, you know, we're human beings. So,
2: yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I, I, I love that question. Uh, so uh, I'm taking the, a, a broad perspective on addiction. Yeah. In my life, uh, I'm including even in my own childhood and adolescence, I'm including my behaviors, which were, in retrospect, self-harming behaviors. Mm. Even uh, a painful relationship with food, yeah. even though I wasn't aware of it uh, at the time. Uh, that, that was, I see now, a self-harming behavior that also led to a, a certain kind of weakness in my mind-body system that made me a really ripe candidate for addiction to take a hold in me in, in bigger ways as I grew up. So from that perspective, we can look at addiction as any behavior that we continue to do, despite negative consequences coming into our life. If you feel a negative consequence once or twice or three times, and then you learn from it, you're like, well, I, I prefer not to have that negative consequence come again. Uh, I'll change my behavior so that I create a different, more positive outcome for myself. Well, that's a normal <laughs> you know that's a well-adjusted sort of way of being, and I've just really never been that way right. in my life. <laughs> so So you know, I much more was the guy who got a short-term gain from getting high off of sugar or high off of marijuana, or high off of cocaine, or high off of ultimately heroin, or alcohol, but having to pay a bigger price than the gain that I was getting, Mm. so it's a sort of a short-term gain, long-term loss scenario for me. And as I've worked now, I'm 26 years sober,
3: Mm.
2: and I worked with uh, literally thousands of people uh, in this last quarter century, and all addicts seem to have that approach that we're willing to do something in the short term, which brings some gratification or, or some perceived value in the short term. And we're willing to pay a bigger price in the long term. Yeah. We're just willing to do it. And maybe it's that we have a, a strange form of amnesia that we forget our experiences and how painful they were. And we repeat those experiences. Or or maybe we just don't feel that there's any other course of action that we could take to bring about a better outcome? Or maybe it's so hardwired into our brains and bodies that we've lost the ability to choose for ourselves and now we're stuck in a pattern. And I think all of those things maybe are potentially true for anyone who has struggled with an addiction of any kind. What 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 do you think of that?
1: I mean, as you're talking, I think we've discussed food um, in one of our very first conversations because sugar, was very big for me, and as you say that, I'm thinking back to my childhood, and um, yes, it was, and I didn't have context around it, you know, because I was young, so I didn't really know what addiction was at that point yet, but, you know, as you're sharing, absolutely, like, I would get that high, and you know, I'm a kid, so it's like a sugar high, but I loved that feeling, and I ate to excess, and I wasn't obese as a child, but I definitely was bigger than most kids. Mm -hmm. I was also in sports so that helped offset it but later on when my addiction really took hold it wasn't just drugs and alcohol it was many things you know food sex shopping but the food particularly um i that i definitely was obese you know pushing 300 pounds at one point in my life and um it's it's that like i don't think you use the words instant gratification but you know as addicts Just a quick story, actually, another thing that just popped in my head really quick. Totally different situation, but it was instant gratification. And luckily, I caught myself yesterday. So I had a little downtime. I got my lip pierced about three months ago. When they pierce it, they have to put in a longer stud. And then after a few months, once your lip starts to heal, you get a smaller one put in. And so I have this little bead on it, um, which is a special bead. And I wanted to get one to match my nose ring. I go in and the only one they had in my nose ring, I had two options. Either pay $20 and it takes 10 to 12 weeks for the speed to come in because it's special order in this size, or they had one that was almost similar in white gold. However, it would cost $120 or $130, sorry. So either pay the $20 and wait or get that instant gratification yesterday <laughs> and pay the 130 because I want it aesthetically to be the same. I almost did it, Tommy, almost did it, but I stopped. I took a couple of breaths and I'm like, you know, you'd be acting out if you did that. Like, I don't have $130 to spend on that $20 and I will wait. And that's what I did. But you know, these behaviors are still there. It's Mm. like you said, any behavior, um, resulting in negative consequences. So anyways, I I love that you, you make that point.
2: Thank you. And I expanding on what you just said, it's, it doesn't matter where you're at in your life, in in my opinion. Yeah. I'm I'm 26 years, I'm still feeling all kinds of areas in in my life where I have to still grow.
3: Yeah.
2: All kinds of thoughts come in. And I'm like, where where did that thought come from? Like I'm not trying to think like that. (laughs) You know? And, And and I guess, you know, the difference is especially, uh, with meditation is you understand that you don't have to act on all these thoughts. Yeah. They happen and they're just thoughts and, and they actually do have less, much, much less power over me than they used to have. Right. And yet, are there any behaviors in my life that, or thought processes in my life that I would still consider, you know, addictive on some level? Definitely. I'm still in my patterns I'm upgrading all the time and tweaking sure. all the time and working on it and bringing awareness to it all the time. But I'm also uh, so human and, and so flawed and, and, and so happy to be exactly that uh, and not needing to be uh, any other thing. I, I, honest to God, I used to think that I really used to think subconsciously and, and later on consciously, I'm going to have to get this thing perfect.
1: Yes, yeah.
2: And if I can get this thing perfect, then somehow, you know, everything will be okay. And of course, number one, everything, everything is already okay. We just don't perceive it Mm. in such a way. Number one, number two, uh, I'm never going to get it perfect. There is no perfect. That's just only you would, that could only come from your ego. Yeah. To even think a thought like that. And there it is, like the loop showing itself once again, (laughs) Tommy. Tommy, <laughs> stop it. Stop it. <laughs> and that's yeah. what
1: I love about you, Tommy, is your transparency. You know, like it's it, it speaks volumes to your your authentic work. You know, a lot of people do get put up on this pedestal, even though they're not asking for it. And, um, and with that comes a lot of pressure, you know. But I think the greatest thing anyone in that position can do is what you're doing is speak honestly. You know, like, yes, you are upgrading and that's wonderful and you're setting a great example. But to me... The greatest example is that you're willing to say i am still a flawed human being you know that's part of it so that's the relatable part i mean of course the recovery is relatable too but we're fallible human beings so tommy are there any core recovery practices regardless of the fellowship or recovering path an individual may take that you think are necessary or at least very important for an individual to partake in in order to give themselves the best chance of long-term sobriety
2: yes the the first thing for sure I, I'll preface this by saying that there's obviously not one approach for right for everybody yes. and we all um, but but even having said that there are a few commonalities and a few best practices that we can look at and, and embrace yeah. I think that we can all agree that these are good ideas uh, generally speaking so uh, the first thing is the thing that we notice about addiction is, and, and, the, and the thing that we notice about depression and the thing that we notice about people who end up committing suicide is there's always an aloneness. Mm-hmm. There's always uh, an isolation. And people might think, well, What about an alcoholic who's out in the bar and is around plenty of people? I'd say it's very easy to be isolated in a bar. It's very easy to be isolated anywhere if you're stuck in your head in the disease of addiction. So knowing this, one of the antidotes to addiction is gonna have to be uh, 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 an effort, a conscious effort made towards not being alone in the sense of stuck in here, in the head. That as troubling thoughts or difficult emotions arise, in the early going in particular, and, and really is a, is a good practice no matter where you're at yeah. in your recovery, is to communicate. It turns out that we actually need each other. Mm. Even today, I, I will not sit, and I, I really mean this, I will not sit a half an hour in, 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 a, in a painful, troubling emotion mm-hmm. without at least bringing in a, a family member, uh, my wife, a teacher, a sponsor, uh, a mentor, mm-hmm. a guide of some kind. I'm, I am on the phone. Here's what's come up for me. I don't want it to get momentum. I've seen what happens when I, I stay alone in that in that environment. Um, it gets momentum. Now, the one co- the one the one thing that has transformed for me is over the years I've developed an ability to sit with myself through discomfort. But that is a parallel practice to me reaching out mm-hmm. and connecting. I do both things. Yeah. I sit still in meditation and I look directly at it and I inquire, what is so painful for me here? Why is this difficult? Can I just be here for a little while? And I'm on the phone. Here's what's come up for me. Could you talk to me? Could you meet me for tea? I just wanna run some ideas that are coming from my head. (laughs) By you and get some input and it's not that i don't feel that i'm tapped in i am tapped in that's why i call that to me is called being tapped in and i'm no longer in the mindset of oh i have to figure this out for myself Mm. does does that make sense
1: perfect sense i mean and i appreciate how you said it's Especially in newer recovery, but it it you know even if you have multiple years, it is vitally important. But yes, I mean a hundred percent. And and for me, I learned that the very hard way, and have learned it again and again. It's it's. I think it's hard for a lot of people, regardless, to reach mm. out and be vulnerable in that way. But um, I'm also introverted, you know, by nature, so it makes it even tougher to do that. However, once I started doing that. Wow. I, you know, honestly, I didn't really start doing that until about three or four years ago, really reaching out to friends that I knew I could trust and opening up. I was always the one to listen. I was, you know, I was a listener and I always had that feeling of, I don't want to burden anyone with what I'm going Mm. through. I'll listen to you all day, but I don't want to burden anyone else yet. That's what I need to do in order, you know, to not keep it Duck or stuffed in and step work is great, you know, and, and all of that is part of it, but the everyday stuff, you know, so I talk with my sponsor and I get vulnerable and then when I don't, and I, and that and other things that go along with that start receding a bit. That's what, at least in my case, leads me into trouble. And I'm guessing a lot of listeners can relate to that. Who've experienced struggles with addiction and relapse and, and again, not just drugs or alcohol, but any behaviors.
2: Yes. Well, I I can so relate to the, well, the whole thing that you just said makes total sense to me. And and as I relate it to my personality and the way addiction plays itself out in my mind is I can be a real schemer, (laughs) you know, and I've seen this, I've seen this in myself and and it is, it's funny, you know, Chris, it's funny. It's funny that it is funny, but I actually think it's funny. Like, (laughs) <laughs> I really do. You yeah, know? like when I catch myself, or if I remember myself, you know, I'm in retrospect now, so I can look back and say, okay, that could have potentially ended my life. Yes, and there was a sincere danger there, but there's also something that I find so, like, I'll give you an example. I just use this a gambling example because that's sure. what came to my mind, but it just just substitute your addiction of choice. Sure. Uh, I came to a real bottom with gambling in my life. Incredibly painful. Mm-hmm. Just ruined myself financially, and it's uh, just so much shame and embarrassment and pain around it. Yeah. And this is now, you know, 15 years ago. And I, I, I reached a bottom, and I made a commitment that I was, I was never going to gamble again. And uh, and I also felt empowered, uh, like lifted up, like you hear about in terms of higher power or all of a sudden tapping into something where you knew you could actually do it when previously there's no way you could do it. Mm -hmm. I I felt lifted up like that. And so a year went by, a year and a half went by and I had not gambled. And all of a sudden I find myself in New Orleans at the New Orleans jazz festival. And I'm, I'm out late listening to some music, you know, I'm clean and sober and I'm coming out of the club. It's, you know, two o'clock in the morning walking back to my hotel, and I'm by myself, just between the club and my room. And lo and behold, there's Harrah's. Harrah's Casino. Oh boy. Right there, are the lights and the bells and the whistles, yeah. it's all happening. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: It's the middle of the night, and I literally, I look, I stand at the bottom of the steps, and I just look up, almost like it's like a temple. <laughs> I'm like, and then I do this classic move, I just do one of these. <laughs> you know I look over my left shoulder is anybody there I look over my right shoulder does anybody see me nobody's there and I go running like a kid up these stairs in to have a, a, a gambling relapse
3: wow yeah
2: it was the last time I gambled to this moment yeah that, that was you know um, 2004 something like that Yeah. Uh, but I had a moment there and, yeah. and I laugh at it now. I think it's funny. I'm like, wow, look at that scheming. Yeah. Look at that kid. He, he couldn't help himself in that moment. And it, it could have it really brought me down. But it, I actually needed to have that experience. It was a very short-lived yeah. experience. I woke up in the casino. I literally woke up and saw what it was, cashed my money in, and never went back. But that scheming part of my mind, gosh, I, I, I have to be very careful of it.
1: Yeah, it makes me think of a quote I actually was just reading before we got on the call from Alan Watson, which he says much of the secret of life consists in knowing how to laugh and also how to breathe, you know, two very important points, of course. Um, But, you know, that that's the thing is, of course, there will be things we've done in the past where maybe we aren't going to be able to laugh at it. You know, there are some things I've done that I, I know I can't laugh at, but the stuff like that, the scheming that, you know, and that's why I laughed. I'm, I can relate you know, as I'm sure many, many listeners can relate. That's what we do, you know, or with, with snacks, you know, like for me, there are still times where I struggle, like I'm much better today and every year or month or whatever, it gets better and better, but I will still have times where it's like, a day, and it's like, you know, they say cheat day or whatever, because I am usually pretty good, but maybe that cheat day turns into two days, and then it's like, uh-oh, all right, you need to stop, like, and and it's gotten better, but now I can look back, and I just kind of laugh, because I think, huh, nobody's home right now, nobody's going to know if I have this, <laughs> whatever, you know, and it's just like, you're so ridiculous, but... It's it's so human, though, it's so yeah, it human. Is. that's the thing, so it's okay, you know, I mean, at least I'm not, you know, waking up in a jail cell, and lesser of yes. evils but you know sure. learning to laugh and learning to breathe two yes. two key points so let's uh let's talk about the recovery 2.0 conference um this mm-hmm. is going to be it it runs june 6th to june 10th it's free yes. which it always is um another thing i highly highly um respect you for making this available to people across the world uh worldwide that are struggling so can you tell me first of all a bit about if anyone's never checked out recovery 2.0 the online conference and then we'll also talk about in a little bit your book by the same title, um, but what is what is the conference?
2: Sure, we we began in 2013 yeah. uh, with with we actually launched with number one the conference and the idea was to interview 25 different people for one hour and these would be people uh, who are experts at recovery from addiction. Uh, people who were therapists, social workers, counselors, people who were medical doctors, nutritionists. Uh, nutrition is really big for us as, as it is for yes, you. Yeah. you. know, We talk a lot about the importance of that. Uh, yoga and meditation, teachers. And I would interview all these people and we'd be talking really through the lens of addiction and recovery. Because for me, yoga, meditation, healthy diet, lifestyle, yeah. Uh, is is really the joy, the joyful part of what we get to do in recovery. And those are great modalities and and powerful practices to bring your life and your body and your mind where you really want to go. So there was really just no information uh, about it. No one had connected these dots in a, in a public forum yet. So we, we began uh, in 2013 and now we did two a year, every year, until now, and now we're coming up on number 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's, it's very exciting. Uh, so we've done 250 hours of interviews. Wow. Uh, I've gotten to speak to some extraordinary people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people have, you know, in, in all the five years of asking people if they would do it, I only got one no. Wow. The whole time. Now, I, I never asked Barack Obama if he'd come and talk <laughs> about addiction, and I never asked, you know, uh, Russell Brand or sure. uh, A-list artists that might be more difficult to get to. But the point is everybody was willing to share their expertise, to share their understanding of addiction as it related to their particular field. Right. Why is this so important? Because what most people have heard about addiction I feel is incorrect. Mm-hmm. Even now, I still hear so-called experts speak on addiction out in the press and out in the, you know these leaders of our society who still I feel very misunderstand addiction terribly. So I, I want to
1: pause right there and see if you can elaborate a little bit. We'll come right back to this, but I would love to just because sure. I think that's a very important point. And I am starting to see more people. Um, share that viewpoint. I don't know specifically if what you're about to say would be what they would say, but I would love to hear you just elaborate on that point a little further.
2: So I'm so delighted to elaborate there. Thanks. Okay. So if you look at our society today, there are basically three ways you can get sober or get help in getting sober. One is to check into a treatment center. Now, in order to do that, you have to either have very good insurance Mm -hmm or you have to come from a wealthy family. Hmm. Uh, Treatment, inpatient treatment, is not available to most people in our country. Uh, There's a very small amount of people in our country who need help that could actually get help in that way. That's one of the ways. There are 14,500 inpatient treatment centers in the United States today, uh, give or take. And of those 14,500, very few of them, in my opinion, are doing great work, have great counselors with great experience and, and a fair amount of scholarship and study and experience behind them. Mm. So even if you went to many of these places, the outcomes might not be so great and we can look more deeply at why that is. Sure. So, so the, one of the things that, that we have is inpatient treatment and it's not working so well. There's also outpatient treatment where you need to stay at home for whatever reason, and you can go to an outpatient facility three or four hours a day, five days a week, yeah. and you can work on, on recovery and, and stay, and people get sober you know, through that method as well.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, there are, are, again, the same similar challenges uh, in outpatient facilities as we see in inpatient facilities, but that's one of the things. Yeah. Next you have, on the other end of the spectrum, in terms of cost, you have 12-step programs. Mm-hmm. So people have walked in off the street into alcoholics anonymous meetings, narcotics anonymous meetings, all the other anonymous meetings and people have surrendered, asked for help, worked the steps, found a sponsor and been able to turn their life around. That we have seen that. That is possible. Yeah. But the 12 steps are so incredibly misunderstood. <laughs> The power of the 12 steps and what's, what's in the program is so misunderstood. Mm-hmm. The barrier to entry for someone to choose to go there is so huge that you would only go there if you were desperate or if somebody forced you to go there. Mm-hmm. Now, once you go there, if you benefit from it, as I have, and you get to be around some great people there, a- a- as I did, uh, then you realize, oh, there's really something here that works. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. And I didn't want to be a part of it from the outside looking in, Sure. because I didn't know what it was. And once I really understood what it was, then I could understand what works about this program and what doesn't, mm-hmm. where are its challenges. I could have it, you know, based on my experience, I could make a, uh, an educated uh, assessment of, 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 of that program. So that's the second, You've, and that's free, of course, so that's, that's an incredible thing, and, and it's also ubiquitous. Yeah. You can find meetings almost everywhere. Yes. Um, so, so that's a great, great resource for our society, if only people understood how to approach it and what, it's, what is there. Mm-hmm. And then there's religious overtones yeah. uh, and, and problematic uh, concepts there about God and, yeah. and higher power, and, oh God, it's so thick and so difficult. It's so hard to explain to somebody, especially people like us who have religious prejudice. Sure. Uh, it's going to be very difficult to just embrace that, again, unless you were desperate or you were forced to go there, if you had nowhere else to go. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing we have in our society is therapy. So you go to a therapist's office. Hopefully they understand addiction. They understand how to help you with your core issues. And they, over time, work with you and help you to resolve your addiction problem. And very often, they will refer you to 12-step programs. Right. Though not always. So sometimes people will find their way to a 12-step program because their therapist, with whom they've developed trust, now says, listen, please just give this a chance. This will help you. Now, it's not to say there aren't other programs that exist other than the 12 steps. It's just that they're the most widespread right. and and have actually had the most success uh, despite all these challenges and barriers to entry. Right. So there you are. That's a snapshot of recovery in 2018. <laughs> now, you ask yourself, what do we do? On the one hand, you've got this at least from the outside perception, you've got this quasi-religious, weird, cultish organization. On the other hand, you've got this unbelievably expensive, almost impossible to access treatment, which by the way is 30 days in length in most cases, or right. less, right. and then you're gonna to return to, you know, the scene of the crime, as it were. Yeah. And how are you just supposed to have worked out your life's riddle and challenges and, and causes and conditions in 30 days. Yeah. So our treatment, our treatment philosophy, the way we've decided to approach addiction in our world is: we'll front-load it. You'll go to an immersive experience, and in a safe place, with counseling and peer support, and and you know, in the best of situations, you got great support around you for 30 days. You make some progress, and maybe that's enough. But for most people, it isn't. Right. So, you know, we haven't sorted out uh, an effective method, an effective way to communicate and to inspire a person into recovery, and then, most importantly, to get them to understand what one day at a time really means, and how to enjoy your life. That's why Recovery 2.0 exists is we need you to enjoy your life otherwise you'll always be vulnerable to relapse you'll always be vulnerable to you know that thought of well this isn't very much fun so maybe i go back to that other behavior at least then i get that short term release i used to get
3: yeah
1: and and that's such a an important point you know for those that get clean versus those who are recovering you know because more times than not the person that's clean is clean and that's great but they're not filling that void or, you know, whatever it is, that that substance or behavior, they're not replacing it with something else. And as you said, that could look like a number of different things. So to enjoy your life. And that's what recovery does. And Recovery 2.0 does that. Um, and, you know, just before we circle back around to Recovery 2.0, um, you said, you know, one day at a time. And people don't understand, you know, really or some people don't really know what that means or the true meaning. What does it mean for you one day at a time?
2: It's first of all, it's universal to the human race. Mm. We live one day at a time. Yeah. Our bodies are on a 24 hour clock. So we have to go to bed at night. Yeah. We have to eat food each day. We have to drink water. We have to eliminate waste. We have to connect and love we have to do something meaningful purposeful in our life these are these are things that everybody has to do in order to have a fulfilled life yeah one day at a time means i i understand my life in today it doesn't mean that we're not like making a plan you know for you know you have children and you're trying to figure out you know you know how to get them to soccer practice on friday and then they're having a sleepover on saturday morning and you got to Of course, you're gonna figure those logistical things out. But the way that you approach life is your presence, your your awareness is of the present moment and this day here. For people in early recovery, that might mean I'm not worried about whether I'm gonna use or not tomorrow. I'm only worried and addressing not using today. Mm -hmm. Because I know if I just go to bed tonight, that's a successful day if I didn't use or pick up in any way. When you've been sober for a while, your life will naturally get a little bit bigger and responsibilities will grow. And one day at a time might mean, well, I'm I'm approaching the things that I need to approach today. I have presence, awareness, and efforts are being spent on doing the next right thing and and chipping away at, at the things that I feel that I need to do today. I'm, I'm also, one day at a time, and this is very important, this is not for people just in recovery, yeah. it's for everybody. But people in recovery, if they do this, will strengthen their recovery and therefore decrease the likelihood of relapse. Yeah. So morning practice, what we call sadhana practice, bringing certain meditative and yogic practices into your life will heal the body, will heal and calm the mind, will make you more available to life, to everything that you really desire. Mm -hmm. Little by little, uh, it will blossom for you. But one day at a time simply means I'm bringing those practices into my life each day that will create for me the momentum and the possibility that I can be all that I can be today. Mm -hmm. And those practices become joyful, not just effective, also joyful. So the practice in and of itself becomes joyful, not hard work anymore. Right. Oh, I I'm I get I get to do this. I'll spend 90 minutes on the yoga mat today. I get to do that. And and that is a joyful time and it strengthens everything. Okay. Now the doors are opening. Possibilities are presenting that you could never have seen otherwise. That's really one day at a time. This why I don't want to end on that negative note of saying, you know, Snapshot of recovery in our country is that we're not doing it. Well. Yeah, well, we're not we're not doing it. Well But we can do it. Well, yeah, and we have to teach people how to engage in practices each day That build their life and that will move them away from relapse and towards purpose and fulfillment.
1: Yeah, absolutely I love that point. I you know as you're speaking it reminded me when I first started running uh, over 10 years ago now and I hated it you know, I forced myself I started with half a mile And I was dying, you know, and then that half mile became a mile and then two and then five, eight, 10, 12. And, you know, two, three, five, six months into it, I don't remember because it was so long ago, but just like you said, it shifted and it was a new ingrained pattern in my life. And I saw the mental, emotional, physical and spiritual benefits from running in my life. And so it shifted from, oh, I have to go running to just like you said I get to go running today now that said of course there are still days where it's like I don't really want to run <laughs> but yeah. I know I should um, right. just like sitting on the cushion or, or yoga you know it's there we're human you know and of course there will be those days but yeah if I go more than a couple of days without running I feel off kilter you know mm-hmm. and so um, I it's a blessing that I have the legs to go running that I am healthy enough to go running you know that mm. I'm alive and able to experience that so I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that point up. It's so important. Yes. It's it, everything with time. It it gets easier and uh, more enjoyable. And if it doesn't, then maybe look at something else. Yes. So coming back to the conference, um, again, just to remind people, there will be a link to it, but it runs free. Can't emphasize that enough from June 6th to June 10th. Um, so you've been doing it for 10 years now, and I know, and I appreciate you giving us an explanation. Five. Of it, or five, five I'm years, sorry, five years, 10th, 10th anniversary. Comes. Pardon me. Yes. Right. Yes. So in that time, for you personally, over these 10 conferences, you know, 250 hours of conversations, you've spoken with world-renowned and celebrated teachers and therapists and, um, you know, just everything across the board that falls under the or well-being, you know, Umbrella, for lack of, you know, different phrases coming to mind. But can you tell me about some of your own personal big takeaways from in that time, Um, whether you care to name or not name whomever it was from? But what insights have you personally experienced over the course of these, you know, just deep and insightful conversations?
2: Yes. Uh, I have now interviewed. Dr. Gabor Maté, for example, 10 times.
1: Amazing, yep.
2: And uh, he implanted, in my mind, uh, the concept of trauma being at the base of the problem, mm-hmm. which completely resonates. And he, he really helped me to expand my understanding of addiction uh, uh, in many ways. So that, that would be an important takeaway. Sometimes people say to me, you know, can I really, like... What really can can watching video and interviews do for me? Mm. I'm like, well, it could do everything.
3: Yeah.
2: It could do everything if you open your mind and heart to it. You're you're about to learn something very important. Every time I speak to somebody, I'm learning something, mm. and and it's reinforcing the the my grand grand desire to remain sober and to oh. to thrive in life. Mm. Um, there's a great teaching I got uh, from interviewing Anand Narotra. Mm. Anand is an Indian teacher, uh, Eastern, coming from the Eastern philosophy, you know, perspective. Yeah, I'm um, really coming from a, a very broad, incredible perspective, and he and he said, "Listen, where you are in your life has to do with the level of consciousness that you have attained to this point. So, just imagine yourself, you and me, right now, Chris. You know." We're in time and we're in space. We'll, we'll designate time as, uh, well, it's Thursday, uh, May 24th, as we see things. And it's uh, 1 o'clock, uh, one fifty three, here in New York City. So that's my time and my place. I, I have a, a, an address, if you will, and my address includes time and it includes space. I'm here talking to you because my consciousness is at a certain place where this was supposed to happen. This address of you and me being together now in this time, in this place. And if you're watching this, by the way, your consciousness brought you here also, or if you're listening to this. So we're only here because of the way that our consciousness is. If our consciousness was somewhere else, we would be somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Now I think about addiction. In addiction, in active addiction, my consciousness was in a kind of a place where I ended up in certain kinds of environments and certain kinds of behaviors and certain kinds of time. In recovery, remarkably, I don't seem to ever end up at the crack house. I just don't, it it never happens. Why not? Or you could say, oh, well, Tommy, you don't don't go there. It's like, well, of course I don't go there but I don't go there because my consciousness is different than it used to be because I used to go there. So Anand was giving us a great teaching and saying, here's the good news. You can change your consciousness. Mm -hmm. And there's a practice that does it called yoga. And if you engage in that practice and that ultimately leads to meditation you have the ability to change your consciousness. You will deliver yourself to new addresses in time and space, and those new addresses will be uh, appropriate for that new level of consciousness that you've attained. Well, that might be very heady stuff for some people, but for me, that hit home. Sure. And I was like, wow, okay, the problem of addiction is a problem of consciousness. Change your consciousness, and you'll you'll be able to move out of addiction. How do you change consciousness? Through the practice of yoga. Are the 12 steps a practice of yoga? Of course they are. Yeah, sure. Sure, it's, a, it's moving from darkness into light, or creating union, that's yoga. You know, So, wow, I didn't know that. All I have to do is change my consciousness and do work each day that will help me do that, and I'll be able to stay, uh, I mean this literally, high. Mm-hmm. In, in a higher consciousness, when I used to smoke pot to get high or or take psychedelics to get high, first of all, it was temporary yes, second of all, I had a lot of trouble integrating it into my normal life when I wasn't high, so there was a a, a vacillation, and it was painful for me. I didn't like the come down, yeah, I just wanted to stay high, but I couldn't do it through those means and believe me, I tried
1: <laughs> you and me both
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so here's a solution that's sustainable, integratable, uh, that, that you can bring into your life, implement and, and it never ends. Yeah. You can keep doing this work to the rest of your life and then you will have reached your destiny for this lifetime. And what else would you like to do? Mm. You know,
1: I love that. It reminds me of, um, when Maharaji told Ram Das he was speaking to him about psychedelics, you know, and he was saying they came to the West because we are a, a very materialistic society when they came back in the 60s. And um, that's what people needed at that point here. And not everybody, of course, but he made a very important point to Ram Das that, sure, psychedelics will get you in the room and you can see the face of Christ potentially. But if you are going in by that means, you are always going to have to leave the room, just like you said. There's that come down. It's a temporary fix to get high, and his point was that you can enter the room of Christ and not have to leave. And you know he was just using Christ as an example. You can replace that with whatever you believe—Buddha, mind, Brahmin, etc. Um, so yeah, that's that's a really great point. And also, I appreciate that you said. The 12 steps are a form of yoga, because even though yoga obviously has blown up in the West, a lot of people still have the misperception that yoga is asana, you know, the form of posturing, and that's what yoga is. And of course that is, but it's only one of the parts, not thinking about bhakti or karma, you know, and the other the other limbs of, of yoga. So, um, I'm glad you brought that up. And I mean that's a whole mm. other podcast. So don't want to go too yes. deep into that. But it's it's <laughs> something I try to remember people of. You know, the, the posturing is wonderful, but there is other forms of yoga as well. And people often are performing yoga and don't even recognize it. So it's uh it's pretty it's fun to help illuminate that aspect for them. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to also talk about, before we run out of time, we still got a little bit of time, about 15 minutes, but I wanted to talk to you about the membership community, um, which I, I love that you offer this. Um, it's basically another, um, it's, it's a membership community in which you or another expert offer live weekly webinars, uh, as well as housing all of the past conferences or conference videos from Recovery 2.0, yoga and meditation practices. And other resources so you know it's just a really great way that people can stay plugged in and develop new perspectives and transformative routines year-round so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the mission of that you know collection of resources and the intention for addressing um, addiction from a vast holistic perspective yes
2: on the on the one hand we want to create a place one place where people could go to access a library of teachings about recovery yeah so we've created that and we'll grow, we'll grow that library for the rest of our lives. Yeah. So that will we'll c- continually add to that. Um, in addition to that, we wanted to bring together a group of people um, through various means. One, you mentioned on Monday nights, we do a weekly live presentation every week of the year. So that's 52 Mondays of the year. Mm. You can participate in a members only, you know, broadcast. Yeah. And there's a, a very powerful and engaging chat feature on the on the on the uh, the technology that we use, so people are connecting with each other on a Monday night <clears throat> throughout the year. It's a new routine,
3: mm-hmm.
2: so it reinforces a positive aspect of your life and recovery every Monday night. So right there, you've got something very powerful in the yeah. community. Uh, people also connect on a private Facebook page that is unique for our members only. Mm-hmm. So it's a closed page. You have to be a member of the community to access that page. And it's one of the most engaged pages I, I've ever seen, truly. Like wow. the way people support each other and connect with each other and meet each other and get to know each other in the real world offline. It's just it's just very thrilling. Awesome. So we, we, we facilitate that that process as well. Beyond that I, I two more things. Yeah. Morning morning practice, I I encourage people to adopt a morning practice into their life. It just simply changes everything. And so we have many morning practices that people can choose from and they can just open the computer and just do these practices along with me. And there are short practices of 10 or 15 minutes leading all the way up to hour-long practices depending on the time that you have and what you want to achieve. And then the the last piece of it is uh, the yoga and meditation classes and instruction that's there will help a person to move forward and to get you know access these tools and bring bring it into their life more.
1: It's wonderful. And how do people become a part of this community? Um, mm. Is there a specific website that they can learn more about? Is it linked on r20.com?
2: It is. It mm. is just r20.com. Okay. When you go there, you'll you'll be uh, invited to join if you want. Sure. You'll also Very soon we're launching a new iteration of the site uh, right around the conference. So right, right around June 10th. Cool. And so people will be able to really engage in, in very powerful ways with their recovery through what we're offering at r20.com. I like to say that r20.com is one aside from the 12 steps. It's one of the few things that's affordable in treatment and in recovery. Uh, It's, it's basically, it's a, it's, Eighteen dollars per month. Oh yeah, yeah. Or it's a uh, hundred and forty dollars annual for the year,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and so most people can get their mind around that and and uh, so that's that's what we encourage: is come join us and we will work with you week in and week out just to continue our momentum of recovery.
1: Beautiful, very uh, very important offering. That's great. So r twenty com. Yeah, thank you for for creating that. So you know we've talked. About the importance of practice. Um, You also mentioned, of course, interviews are everything. They're great. Like you you learn so much and they help shift. If you're open to it, they can shift our perspectives or we have little insights and things we can take into meditation and explore further or journal or whatever the case may be. But the actual practice itself, you know, in my life is where the rubber really meets the road. Um, It's where You know, we take these things we're discussing and then implement them into our lives. So I'm wondering if there is, say someone is brand new, they're listening to this, they haven't, maybe they've dabbled a little meditation or yoga, but you know, very, very new. Maybe they're toying with the idea of, okay, I have a problem. I I should probably get help. Um, Whatever the case may be. Is there a very basic, simple practice that you could share that someone can literally do today? to start implementing in their life to, again, no matter how small, make a shift, you know, start putting that next best foot forward.
2: Sure. Well, there, there are so many, of course. uh, and, uh, but, but if you wanted to take it right out of this podcast and not have to look anywhere else, yep. uh, the, the basic place that I would always begin is with the breath. Mm. And so just come sitting up nice and tall. And, uh, if you're, in a chair or on a couch. Sit up in such a way that your spine is straight and it's not against the couch or against the back of the chair, but you're actually sitting tall. And allow your eyes to close. If you're sitting on the floor cross-legged, that's certainly fine too. But you wanna be comfortable, relatively comfortable. Close the eyes. And the, the only instruction is this. Just inhale deeply in through the nose, and exhale deeply through the nose. Inhale, and notice you're inhaling. Exhale, and notice you're exhaling. Inhale, and simply notice, and say internally in your mind, I'm inhaling. Exhale, and mentally state to yourself, I'm exhaling. Deep inhale. Full exhale. I'm going to be quiet now. I'll let you do this for three or four or five rounds. And just focus on the breath coming in. that inhale, and then focus on the breath going out. If you notice you're thinking or distracted, just bring your attention back to the breath. Take a deep inhale. Pause the breath for just a few seconds, and exhale. Allow the eyes to come open gently. Good. Now it's it's a simple, accessible meditation that anybody can do. Try. Three minutes or five minutes at first, maybe 10 or 11 minutes. You build it up. Ultimately, maybe 20 minutes. See, see what that feels like to just sit in very gentle awareness of the breath. Obviously, thoughts will come in, and you'll be pulled away from your attention on the breath to these thoughts. The exercise is not to not to try to not think. We're all going to think, and the thoughts will come. The mind will just create thoughts; it's what it does. The exercise is just to catch yourself thinking, and then return your awareness. Return your awareness to the breath. Catch yourself thinking. Return again. No analysis, no judgment. Just being there. Simply just being there. And that's that's a a wonderful, powerful beginning practice. And You can get far Mm. with a commitment to that practice alone. You can get very, very far. So
1: I love that. Um, Any breath practice, you know, is so vital. Thank you, first of all, very much for sharing that. Um, Sure. But the beautiful thing about breath work is that one, it's we have access to it at all times. Two, it's completely free. Can't argue with that. And three, it's. It's our breath, you know, there's nothing inherently Buddhist or Christian or Hindu or whatever, you know, it's just our breath. So it's truly accessible to anyone that is alive on this earth right now. You know, it's something that if they want to create more presence or mindfulness, or if we're looking at it just health-wise, lower blood pressure, you know, lessen stress and anxiety. If we're having cravings, you know, things like that come back to the breath absolutely beautiful um so mm. again thank you for that uh pleasure thank you yeah so before we wrap up i also wanted to ask you um i know it's been out for several years but i think it's you know very much worth noting you have a wonderful book that you published in i believe 2014 that was back in your bio actually yes, yeah 2014, 2014. Uh, recovery 2.0 move beyond addiction and upgrade your life um which you know as uh to me, a, a wonderful extension of the work you do on, uh, on the conferences, uh, online conferences and in your speaking at conferences and festivals, et cetera. So do you want to tell listeners just a little bit about that, even though it's been out sure. a while, it's still as relevant as ever.
2: Yes. Thank you, yeah. Chris. Well, it's, uh, it's, a, a book that, uh, you know, when you're, <laughs> when you write and you will know this, yeah. uh, you, first of all, you write in collaboration, hmm. you know, you, we all need editors and we all need support and, and uh, help in that way. And um, so nobody writes something that just ends up, be, Oh, that's perfect. It's <laughs> yeah, right. ready to go out. You know, like, great job. I, w- I wish. <laughs> <laughs> so I was blessed to have a great editor at Hay House and, uh, and we, You know, I I gave them my manuscript and they helped me to express what I needed to express, what was trying to express through me uh, more clearly. And uh, they really guided me in structure, structural kinds of ways. And uh, the book came out and much to my surprise and excitement and delight, it was uh, acclaimed and and has been very, very helpful to many, many people. Uh, So it's split into four sections. The first section has a lot to do with my personal story, uh, understanding the history of addiction uh, for me personally, but also uh, understanding addiction through new new uh, vocabulary. Mm-hmm. I speak about the addiction story. I speak about the frequency of addiction, uh, a, a vibration, a vibratory uh, reality that addiction carries. Um, the second section is all about accessing and understanding the power of the 12 steps This is for anybody, whether, you know, whether you're going to take the 12 step path or not, it's a philosophical breakdown of of how a person can get past like the God thing, if that's a problem for you, or how to interact with that society, if that's been an issue for you. It really, really makes it more accessible. Um, So I've had a lot of people who are not into the 12 steps write me and say, I have to tell you that that second section finally answered the questions that I, I needed to have answered about that process. And now I'm, I've just got through the 12 steps and then my life is better than it's ever been. Amazing. That's very gratifying. Yeah. The, the third part is about, um, the release of trauma and, and moving beyond the conditioning and the tension patterns and stress that seem to underlie addiction. Um, so that this is really where we're getting deeply into the yoga piece of the book, right. meditation piece of the book, uh, meeting my teacher, what that meant. And then the fourth part of the book is, is 100% about yoga practices, uh, a way of looking at life uh, in recovery that can really be supportive to a person one day at a time. Uh, and then the appendices of the book have some practices and kundalini yoga sets and uh, different meditations people can do. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, it, it's, it's one of the greatest things that ever came out of, through me, you yeah. know. Um, so I'm I'm so delighted with how it worked out, and every time someone comes or writes me and says, you know, your book changed it all for me, mm. that 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 blows my mind. Yeah, and keeps me going.
1: Humbling yet um, well deserved. I, I I that's wonderful.
2: Well, yeah,
1: thank you. Thank you for all of the work that you have done and continue to do and, um, the lives you are helping to change and the wonderful people you bring together for the conferences. Before we wrap up, I would love to give you the last word. If there's anything we didn't discuss that you wanted to talk about, or I know upcoming events, you have Kripalu next week. I don't think this will air in time, unfortunately for that, but anything else, you know, floor is yours, whatever you'd like to leave us with.
2: Uh, I'll leave you with this. Uh, Everybody's a beginner to their next step. Everybody also wants to get to their next step. <laughs> so that puts us all in the same place. So whatever you feel that you need to get to that next step, go after it. Go after it, bring it into your life. If we can help you in, in Recovery 2.0, come after us. We're, we're easy to find. <laughs> If it's somebody else, go after them. Make it the priority in your life that each day you wake up, you're going to do everything you can to continue to learn and continue to grow. And then you cannot possibly fail. There's nowhere to get to. You just stay on the path. You stay in the attitude of, I'm gonna learn and grow and help other people to do the same. You cannot possibly fail.
1: Beautiful. Tommy, I thank you so much. I bow mm. deeply to you, my dear friend, for the work you're doing. Like I said, it changing lives, changing lives. So my brother, the one final reminder, June 6th to June 10th, the 10th anniversary of the Recovery 2.0 conference. It's free. There is absolutely no reason not to sign up. Visit r20.com. Visit Check out the website. Check out the community we were talking about. Check out the conference. It is an incredible lineup this year, as always, or this conference, um, as you you always do. So, uh, and again, if you're on the Be Here Now network site, just scroll down and the links will be right there. You don't even have to type it in your computer. Just scroll and click. So, Tommy, again, thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Chris. All right. Much love to you. Much
1: love right back.